Hey, everyone. Hey, Troy. Yeah, Rainy. Knock, knock. Who's there? Mister. Mister who? Mysteries and RPGs this week on Modified Roles. Let it oh. roll, guys. Oh, it's worse the third time you hear it than the first two. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I love it every time. DMs I mean, and dad jokes after dark. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Modified Roles, where yes, we are going to be talking about running mysteries in role-playing games. It's something that always seems like a good idea. Mysteries are very fun to solve, fun for players to engage with, fun to feel like you've achieved something and gotten to the bottom of a mystery. But are they easy to do in a role-playing game? No, is my no. answer. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no seems to be the answer. I, I would I would think that I'm probably not alone in saying that that's probably the hardest thing to run uh, as a DM, simply because most mysteries uh, count on going along a certain track. And anyone who's run a game even once knows that players do not run on tracks uh, because the game's not fun when you make them do that. They go wherever the hell they want and they go, if you give them a track, they're going to go off that track immediately. So that's a hard thing. Uh, the benefit and what makes a... a a mystery story so great to read is that, you know what, Arthur Conan Doyle knows that Sherlock Holmes is going to find that clue. You know that he's going to solve the mystery. You're just reading to see how he solves the mystery. And we've never really been able to recreate that in a role-playing game where you really, the players have to figure out how to solve that mystery. Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. And it it really sucks because players love solving mysteries. That's like one of the, the highlights, you know, of the game. And they, they love when they figure it out, right? But uh, it's really hard to get them. <laughs> yeah, think, think of all the other kinds of games you've run, right? And those big reveal moments are so satisfying to drop mm. on players, either if it's, you know, them finally finding out, oh my goodness, like the person we thought was the bad guy is really being controlled, blah, 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 anything like that. But in a mystery game where the entire destination is that reveal, it can be very difficult to lay out the track to get them there without, you know, leading them on a railroad, which yeah. is another thing we'll talk about in the future, railroads versus sandboxes. But mysteries can be tough. You know, I think one of the nice things about mysteries, uh, at least in my experience, is they kind of piggyback as a theme on another main theme. So when I when I say that, what I mean is, you can incorporate mystery in any type of theme. You can incorporate mystery into a horror game. You can incorporate mystery into a comedy, like into an adventure, into a dungeon crawl, like absolutely any aspect of role-playing, any theme can have mystery as a subcategory. So it might be difficult to do because you can't, you know, you don't want to force players along a certain path. Uh, but on the same token, it can be, into any game and it also doesn't have to be the grand goal of an entire theme right it could be i i think back to um rainy you ran a dungeon world uh one shot for for the westward public library uh, a couple years ago and shout out yeah shout out to westward public library amber can't be here today sorry um 
but, but Sarah's, Sarah's here. here. Yeah, oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sarah. Oh, no, wow. Sarah. Wow. The second best librarian. Boom, roasted. Hey, <laughs> your kid said I'm the best, so. That's true. That is true. Shots fired. Um, High praise. So I think back to that session that you ran, and uh, it was fantastic. I wish that it was recorded. But uh, basically, long story short, there was like this village of halflings, and they had this King Caesar. And uh, he had a dressing, a salad dressing, right? <laughs> it was just... You're letting everyone in on how dumb. No, no, it was amazing. It was absurd, (laughs) but it was so well played. We had like a character, Greg the Pious, and he was on a search for the greatest pie. Like that was his holy quest. And like salad was his arch nemesis. But like, we were like, what is up with this dressing? Right. And then there were little hints. There were little clues and mysteries and stuff like people be disappearing. Like, are they putting like people in this salad dressing? Like what the hell's going on? Right. But that was obviously a game of comedy. Like it was entirely comedy. Uh, but there was a mystery element, and dreamed. you did it well. So, what's that's that? Really, really? Yeah, that's a really good point. Soylent Green. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that, no, that's a really good point, Troy. Because I think one of the other things that's that's cool is that a mystery doesn't have to necessarily be resolved within one session, and you can have other adventures in the course of your campaign that are not a part of that mystery. And then, you know, four or five sessions down the road or six or whatever, maybe even a whole campaign, you finally find out who the guy was who was a secret benefactor or who was the one who did this or, you know, whatever that might be. But that's something that can linger for a very long time in your game. And that's something I hadn't thought about until you brought that up. Um, it's it's also something where if they're maybe not necessarily like one big mystery, but if there's a bunch of smaller mysteries, you can have all of those going at the same time. Um, in a game I was part of for a very long time, we had like running lists of just things we wanted to look into and figure out. And so we basically had tiny lists of like mysteries of just like, hey, this thing seems really interesting, but it's like this thing that's gone missing. Like, what's the deal with that? Or like, just throughout will be like more discoveries and more clues that like eventually will lead us to the point. But we had like 10 other things going on at the same time. So it's like, a roundabout to get there but you you can have multiple at once if they're smaller and kind of combined with other things and that can that can avoid the the chief frustration running a mystery rpg from a player standpoint which is just frustration wait when you know you have all the you know you have all the clues or the dm's got nothing left to give and you're just you're sitting there and you, you know you got like like the like the serial killer movie where the guy's got all the you know the cork and all everything's connected by red lines but he just can't quite figure it out you know and and that's that's frustrating for players you want to be able to make that jump i have a personal request for all of the amazing rpg game writers out there please write me an rpg game where the main mechanic is having your players put together one of those red string boards. I don't know if that would work, but it sounds amazing. I'm putting it into the world now. Thank you. Insert that meme. That sounds actually super cool. <laughs> Get to work, Sarah. Oh, Make man. It um, actually, though, what we were just talking about as, you know, you can let mysteries kind of linger and and build up to something bigger or if they sit in the background another great piece of gm advice or dm advice across any genre any game you're playing is if the players leave something alone for a while it is not just going to sit there and wait for them to do anything it's a great way for you to flex your muscles as a gm and think about okay well it should be moving to achieve its goal and i think one of the biggest uh, notes we had as we were getting ready to record this mystery in rpgs episode was GMs have to be flexible in mysteries. 
And if you let it sit around like that and a player brings it up later and goes like, hey, you know, I forgot we were supposed to be doing this thing. This might be related. And even as a GM, if you did not plan for those two things to be related, that's a perfect opportunity for you to just flex those improv muscles and go, oh, I can bring this back. I can introduce these things again. And it's going to have them engaged because they feel like they figured something out. Let your players inform your mysteries because that way it's more satisfying for them to feel like they've done something and gotten a clue that you hid so well but in all actuality, you never even thought of. Let them do the legwork. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, and that that clues clues are clues are the lifeblood of a mystery. And so here's here's the problem. When I said earlier, mysteries are hard to to run. Here's why: don't ever let your mystery hinge upon someone making a role, because mm. they will fail that role. Sarah, I'm looking at you. They will fail that role, uh, and then you'll have to improvise them to make another 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 way around. And, and I'm picking on Sarah because she was part of this. Call of Cthulhu detective series we had set in 1890s London. And she had Dr. Louisa Hudson, who managed to always either like amazingly biff roles that she should have been really good at or just succeed. Uh, And so I learned really quickly that, hey, you know what? I I borrowed something from an excellent game about investigation, which is Gumshoe, which has a rule that if there are clues that the players have to find to move the story forward, they find those clues. There's no role required. And when you're rolling to, you know, look at the crime scene to pick up things, you know, spot hidden roll, or they're doing research, you're judging to give them extra information based upon how they did on the rolls, not the main clue. So you're always going to be able to move the forward story forward, but how much information they have and how quickly they might reach that conclusion depends on how they roll, but their success or failure doesn't depend on how they roll. I would say to add to that, don't have just one yeah. clue either. Just yeah. don't have like a one main clue. Make sure you have multiple out there for and see what yep. they pick up on, right? See what they're drawn to. See what they are attracted to, your players, and roll with whatever they're doing. Yeah. What are your thoughts then, Christian? I know we briefly touched base on red herrings and, uh, you know, their role in, in mysteries. Um, let's say you do require a role to find a clue and they fail. Uh do you steer them down a different direction? Do you try to give them a false clue? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, uh, I, I don't like the false clue idea. Um, first of all, don't I would say don't put red herrings in your stories because players will come up with their own. Uh, and, and I'll give you I'll give you an example of that in one second. But in general, I would say with red herrings, like they're great in movies or they're great in, you know, short stories or novels because the writer is building up that kind of like false climax of like, oh, it was him. Oh shit, it wasn't him. You know, and, and now, now, well, who was it then if it wasn't him? I really thought it was him. And then you get to see like, oh, well, you missed this, this and that, but Sherlock Holmes really saw it, but you're an idiot and you didn't see it. But in the game, you're just making your players feel stupid. And you're also, you're also derailing them because they might spend all this effort and they're going to say like, I spent all this time like chasing this guy and like, come on, man, what are you doing? They're going to lose trust in you as a GM. So I would say if you're going to use red herrings in a game, uh, use them only if they're going to advance the story somehow. And I'll give you a good example of that. Uh, you absolutely think that this person is guilty or these people and, you know, the players are pursuing and pursuing and pursuing them. Turns out that that person's actually not guilty. It's just, you know, coincidence or, or whatever. But, you know, when they get that big moment where it's like, hey, it's not them, maybe they become like a valuable ally to help you now find the real person or stop the real person. Still advances the story. They don't feel like they wasted an effort chasing that person down. Just an idea. Yeah, or a victim, because if they're on 
you know, if you're playing a detective or something like that in a game like We Used to Be Friends, um, you know, it might be something where you've been chasing the wrong lead this whole time, but it happens to be there next in, you know, the target's crossfire or something like that. Which then also puts all of the player's research onto that person to good use because it's like, all right, well, we know X, Y, and Z about this person. What about them goes in line with the other victims that will help us track the real perp? Yeah. Something that Christian said about it's not fun to fool your players. You know, that's that's a very antagonistic GM player kind of approach. It reminded me of one of the biggest rules in all Powered by the Apocalypse games, and it's in the GM section of every Powered by the Apocalypse game, you know, I've read, which is a lot, is one of the biggest rules you can have as somebody running a game is be a fan of the PCs. You want them to succeed. You want them to do epic, cool things. You just want to put complications in their way. And red herrings are inherently just not being a fan of the PCs unless you have a plan to use that misdirection against them in something like, you know, moving forward the bad guy's or, you know, the target, the victim, the whatever it is, you know, the person, the perp that you're trying to catch, moving their agenda forward to the point where it ramps up tension for the mystery, you know, and makes that even more satisfying in the end. Um, and also, it made me think of something. Jess, you said never just give one clue. And we talked about um, whether or not there are mechanics that work for a mystery game. Uh, and I have two comments on the never give one clue thing. One is, everybody should go check out The Alexandrian. It is a blog on the internet that's been around for a long time and gives great advice for people who are getting into running games. And one of their most famous articles is called The Rule of Three, and it's how to, you know, it's how to approach mysteries. Any clue you want your players to find, there should be three clues that point to that clue, or like that bit of evidence, you know what I mean? Give them chances to find these things, not just one thing it's hinging on. And two, if you are going to do something where failures happen to be part of it and they might miss something i think that mechanically we are eventually going to talk about games that use something like a meta currency or puzzles which we've talked about in games like D or any game uh where it's less about in-game you know mechanics and more about metagaming itself and mystery is a genre that lends itself to allowing metagaming your players yeah. are trying to figure this out just as much as their yeah. characters are yeah and that's good because metagaming usually gets a bad rap in general. Everybody, everybody's always bitching about like, oh, no metagaming at the table, you know. Oh, you don't. Your character doesn't actually know that, right? But, uh, but mystery is a perfect example of where, for the most part, metagaming is actually essential. Um, you have to, yeah. You have to do it. Yeah. The numbers on the page don't add up. Like, you know, I, I am not in fact a genius wizard. And uh, maybe I should I should be able to figure this out right away, but I'm a fairly average human being who isn't a genius. So like, you know, like help me out here, man. You know. <laughs> yeah, if, I think in mysteries, something that's fun to think about is that yeah, you are the player. You, the player, are trying to solve this just as much as your character. But your character has motives and incentives that will probably influence how they're trying to solve it. That makes it interesting. And that's a really difficult thing as a player trying to solve a mystery is trying to solve it as your character, not just as yourself. Yeah. Trying to see specifically like what they might look at, what they, what their detail is. Like, you know, for example, as Christian's mentioned, I, in a Call of Cthulhu campaign, I played a doctor. One of the first things she assessed whenever they came upon a victim was yep. how were they killed? Yep. What physical injuries can I see? 
that can give me insight into this. And then you usually fail the roll. Yeah, but then I roll like a two on a thing. I've only got a five on. Right. So who's the real winner now? I, I would just give you the clue anyway half the time. I like, know. Yeah. You were kind. I'm too nice. It's my weakness. And McQuiblet <laughs> appreciates that. But it's true. I, I think that's I think that's definitely a thing, right? Like helping helping each other out when you are as players trying to solve the mystery, right? I, I don't know if this happens in your games, but I know it definitely happens in my games. Like one person is interrogating a person, right? And I'll just be on the sideline and be like, ask them this, ask them that. <laughs> what about this? I'm just like thinking, yes. but I'm not there. Your character isn't there, you know, but you're trying, like D&D is such a collaborative game or RPGs in general, I should say, are a collaborative game. Um, you should be working together, yeah, to try and solve things. And so don't, definitely don't um, hang on things for one player to figure yeah. out or solve. Or yeah, what. that's another good point too, absolutely, is don't ever have multiple ways to, for people to solve that that mystery that address the different people you have in, in your party, the group of characters. Because if it's, you know, if Sarah's playing, you know, Dr. Louisa and you know, a doctor's needed to figure out that mystery that night and Sarah can't make it that night, well, what am I going to do with the other two? The other two characters in that game were a failed magician who was a gambling addict and the the 18-year-old forging genius who he was deeply, deeply in debt with. What the hell are they going to do? They're not going to be able to solve like a medical mystery, right? So you have to have multiple ways for them to, yeah. to come at something uh, because if you don't, that'll fall down really, really fast. Yeah, and kind of going off of that, I would say, I would say in general, the, one of the biggest problems that I see for DMs, both in like uh, mysteries and um, puzzles and things like that, is sometimes, and I do this quite often, I'm so stuck on the way I think it will be solved, right? I'm so stuck on the way a puzzle will be solved or a mystery will be solved following these clues. And very yep. often, it doesn't go at all the way I think it will, right? It's it's the players come up with some other way. Um, the players have some sort of direction. And you have to really remember that as a DM, you're here to guide them through this story. I think, Rainey, you said this before, like this is about, you're a fan of the PCs. You're here to help the PCs have their best story. So it's very important that you're not stuck on kind of one way to solve things and that you're open both on that flexibility side to change whatever the puzzle was, change whatever the mystery was. And um, I think I think one of the things that we want to talk about was letting your players rewrite the mystery itself. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually funny that um, you know you bring up you have this one thing in mind that they are supposed to be doing, but sometimes the best stories are when a character comes out of left field with something absolutely you never would have thought about, and you just sit there in silence and let them kind of go. Oh, and then and you watch them all kind of make this story, and you go like, well, that's amazing we're gonna go with that now you know it's it's things like that why my my number one rule for when i dm above any game rules or mechanics is i play by the rule of cool if i think the thing you're doing is sick as hell even if it's not how i planned it to go or how the game says it can goes if i think it's cool and i can like see how it could work i'm like yeah absolutely this is your thing go for it and that can dramatically change a mystery from the DM's perspective. I know one of the things we have been chatting about while prepping for this episode is, you know, the players are like getting so zoned in on one suspect and pointing out these details that you with the DM were like, oh, I didn't think about that, but I really like it. So yeah, this is absolutely what happened. You know, stuff like that can not only 
be fun for you as a DM to have, you know, the surprise, but obviously it's fun for their players because they're like, oh yeah, we got it. Well, because like, that's the thing, right? You're playing with players. Like five people are smarter than one. You know, like you could be the smartest person like planning things out, but like five people coming at you with different ideas are smarter than you. And that gets back to my red herring thing about, you know, don't put your own red herrings in because players are going to come up with their own and just be like, hey, you know, let them go down that path a little bit sometimes because it's fun, right. but you want to cut it off yeah. and have a crew that kind of redirects them. And, and sometimes you, this is, this is a, will go against established GM lore. Sometimes you have to railroad your players a little bit if you're running a mystery, especially if it's just a mystery, you have to give them something to get them back on the rails. Cause if not, it's just not going to be fun. And, and here's my example of, of red herrings, just the game that we talked about last time we were chanting Latin in the library. It's called Cthulhu scenario. It's called Edge of Darkness. It has a very substantial plot problem with the plot in that the guy who's the old dying professor is like, you know, we got this information in this book. It's in the Miskatonic Library, but here's everything you need to, to you know, go to the old farmhouse and exercise a demon. But players, you're like, oh, that book's in the library. We're going to go get the book. And Jess, Jess did that. We played that game and Jess like zeroed in on that book and was like, I'm going to like freaking break in and like, you know, kneecap Henry Armitage and, and like steal this, this book. And, and I had it cause it was, you know, it was a one shot. I was in the library. It was like three hours. And I had to just be like, I couldn't even think of a way to discourage her. Cause I tried a couple of times and I was like, you know what, Jess, I'm just going to be very honest with you. This is a problem with the scenario and you can't get the book. You just can't, you're going to wind up in jail. You have everything you need to do just in the interest of the time frame that we had allotted, you know, yeah. but uh, sometimes you, you have to look for different reasons to say, like, let them find a clue that leads them back. And you know what? The things that they're looking at and the things that they fixate on, use them as the clue that drives them back because they still feel like they got something and, and they discovered something. Right. So if they, if they like, yeah, that was focused on like, you know the type of shoe print that they found that something and, you know, they went off on this wild goose chase, let them still find something that connects them back to the guy. Right. Don't make it irrelevant. Yeah. I was just going to say, let your, I, I just talked about how like five players are smarter than one, but at the same time, let them, if they're smarter than you or if they thought something clever, like let your yep. players be smart. Like Sarah was yeah. saying rule of cool, like let them, let them, you know, figure out something new and let them think that they figured out something new. Ultimately you're playing the game to let them have fun and you're playing the game to have fun too. So just roll with what comes up. That's right. Yeah. I mean, what's more fun as a GM than watching your players just play without you. You know what I mean? Like they don't need your urges to go one way or another. Like you watch them like latch on and, and start making sense of things in a way that you didn't prep for. That's, that is everyone's having fun. But when I one thing I want to bring up is we always talk to people and try and give them advice if they're going to be GMing or running a mystery game or something like that. And I want to ask you guys your opinion on this. I don't know how many games you've run that have a mystery theme or anything to them, but I'm so torn with mysteries where sometimes I feel like, you know, it's it's obviously good practice to have multiple suspects with multiple motives, multiple clues to be found that lead them one way or another, and ideally in the right direction every time. Like we've been talking about, don't include red herrings, or at least not a lot of them. Um, but I also feel like mysteries really benefit from a GM's ability to improv. So one of those things is, is if you have very broad strokes for this mystery and you can just improv a few NPCs to be, uh, one of my notes that I have written here is anybody acting normal is immediately going to be suspicious. You know what I mean? Like, which is funny because ideally that's not what they're actually looking at, but you can use those kinds of things where you're just winging a random shopkeep because they were like, well, my character wants to go get, uh, you know, 
a raincoat, like to bring up Christian's story from last last time with Amber. And he was like, that's actually going to work out. But, you know, in a mystery, you might go in there and have no idea where they're going to buy something. And you just go, yeah, yeah, you buy it. But if you introduce a weird, creepy guy who, you know, oh, the only raincoat I have is this, you know, you have to take it off this weird guy at the docks and it's that yellow raincoat. You know what I mean? Like you just introduce somebody weird. You can improv a lot. Do you think that, you know, if you were going to run a mystery, how much prep do you do versus how much improv? So, so just to, uh, I, I'm not going to talk too long on this, but um, I think obviously it depends on your comfort, your comfort level as the GM with both the game system and with the players. Um, if it's a game that requires just a ton of upfront investment and in work, whether, whether it's like knowledge on the lore of the game or um, the, if you're playing a, you know, a pre-made campaign setting, and there's a lot of key points that have to happen, then it might take a little bit more upfront investment. But one of the cool things that I was going to uh, say about this, real quickly pulling back to the uh, let your players rewrite what you had in mind, it doesn't have to be you know, completely rewriting anything. Um, it can just be a pivot in the solution to your problem. So if you're looking for you know, if you find a body and you're looking for the murderer, but the players come up with something else really cool, like they find this sickness or something in the town that's infected a lot of people. Well, maybe all of a sudden the body wasn't murdered, but they were killed somehow, right? So just getting more and more macro, I think getting larger with the mystery in general can actually be a really good way to, um, if, you, if you do over plan and you can't railroad people, Getting more macro is a good way to be improvisational, but still keep the mystery going and allow the players to kind of guide that mystery. Um, you know, it's what started out as a murder investigation ended up being not that at all. It ended up being like somebody poisoned or, you know, whatever. There was like runoff of this poisonous nutrients into this village and everybody was dying. Who knows, right? Uh, so that would be what I have to say on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that I found that the the mysteries that have been easiest for me to run, um, and, and most of my experience of running mystery type games comes from Call of Cthulhu. I know I talk about it all the time, but it is what it is. Um, You're the Cthulhu guy. That's okay. I, I am. Uh, <laughs> some of those some of those scenarios are set on on railroads. You know, I mean, literally one of their famous campaigns is a horror of Orient Express, horror on the Orient Express. You can't be any more on the railroads than an actual train. Uh, but some of one of their famous ones uh, is um, masks of masks of Nyalothotep. Uh, which is a sandbox. And it's this epic, epic campaign that just spans the globe. And there are a bunch of different ways to solve it because there are a bunch of different locations. And, and there are clues that lead you to those locations. So I think the easiest mysteries to run are those where there's A, a contained environment. Sarah, I'm thinking about the one with the house and the, and the statue. There's a contained environment. There are a bunch of characters that are in the house there's a mystery and there's a time frame of stuff that'll happen and then you just kind of let the characters the player characters and the characters interact and you decide what happens and or you know the time frame of things as they go and it's pretty much a sandbox because the players are running around just kind of doing things and you're interacting with what they're doing and you can insert clues the other one is the the ghoul one I used as an example last week where there, there's a whole town and there are these ghouls in the town and they just wandered around the town and they investigated things. And I said, okay, they're doing this. The ghouls wouldn't like that. This is what the ghouls are going to do. And sooner or later, they, they made their own story in that environment, right? So if you set up, set up an environment where a mystery can happen, there's a mystery there. There's no set way of finding it, but there are clues. 
Yeah, I was gonna just gonna say that's that's how I do usually do a mystery. Not that I've ever succeeded at it, but I usually have like a starting point. I usually have I know where I want it to end, and then the environment, right? And see where see and let them figure it out themselves, and let them lay out kind of how to solve the mystery themselves. Yeah, with that environment and things to interact with. I think building off of that and going back to the point of what do you plan, what do you improv? The most important thing to plan is know your yes. villain, know them inside and out. Absolutely. Um, know what, how they might react to certain things, and then you improv what the villain does based on what your players do. Because if you at least are like, all right, I've got these five things about my villain. I'm totally concrete. And if your players are like, all right, we're going to like sidestep this, then you go, all right, how do they react to that? And then that's how you like when they, when they start just renovating a house in Magnamar for like four sessions. Yeah. When there's, you know, a a murder on the loose in a giant town and they go, we want to fix this house. Sometimes you just have to decide what happens, you know, in the background. Yeah, there were there were two points there that I really liked. One, which was Christian's said it, it like you know, you said one was just in a house. Putting a fixed like location where, you know, s- separating, isolating characters is a great way to just be like, you know, you have a lot to interact with, but it, you're not going to get too lost on this, you know. And the other thing was have a set, you know, villain or not necessarily solution because again, we're talking about being flexible in in mystery games but if you have a villain like sarah was saying you know have a great idea of what they're doing why they're doing it and how they'll react to the players doing certain things is a great way to just be like that's all i need to prep i can wing the rest of it you know i know the set i know the place i know the house they're going to be in i know the clues that i'm hoping they find i know the bad guy i know what they're going to do when they do these kinds of things um and actually christian you said one other thing and i guess we can segue this into um our usual what games do you guys know that do mystery well we've talked about call of cthulhu we've talked about the gumshoe system which is designed to run mysteries i do want to pitch i think powered by the apocalypse games again you know christian's the call of cthulhu guy i'm the powered by the apocalypse nerd um i do think that just their general gm tips of being a fan of the pcs like letting them kind of take the reins and write the story just as much as you the gm are is a great way to run mysteries, but I really want to highlight Monster of the Week, which is a really, really good Powered by the Apocalypse game. We will eventually be playing it because I want to run it for this this group. I think with the horror nerds that are in this game, this group, you know, uh, it, it'll be a fun one. But part of Monster of the Week's hunts, as they're called, um, or you know, investigations, is finding the weakness of the monster that you need to beat. You know, uh, and that's kind of a mystery within a game, like. Troy brought up at the very beginning of this episode. Um, it's kind of a subgenre of the supernatural monster hunting game that it is. You need to find out how to even beat this thing and how great for a GM to practice and learn that kind of flexibility and improvisational skill than being like, okay, well, I have this monster that you're all going to beat. I have an idea on how you guys are going to beat it, but like, let those players just be like, oh, wait a second. You know, like we found, uh, we found an expired fire extinguisher here and it seemed to have do- done something to this, this thing. Yes, and then you it go, did. we're going to use it. Yes, it did. And yes, we did. And then you go, yeah, that's what it is. Is there was a weird chemical in this expired fire extinguisher. I planned it all along. Yeah. Um, in terms of games that can do mystery well, I'm actually going to do something we don't normally do here. And I'm going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> 
well done. Uh, I know. Wow. I'm this. So okay. there Bold is. Bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Well, I am about to to put my second important card on the table, uh, and say there is a one shot that I have to run with this group at some point that I am obsessed with. It is called a Night of Fright, and it is Dungeons and Dragons meets Scooby Doo. You play as D&D versions of Scooby and the gang who are... It, 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 like zoinks! Shaggy is a human uh, monk. They, they all have unique races and classes. Fred is a paladin half-orc. And some of them, they're so wonky. Daphne is a warlock packed of the damsel. Like, they created custom things for these characters. It's incredible. Scooby-Doo is a talking knoll. Anyway, they have this beautiful setup <laughs> and all these genuinely good clues and maps. And because you have these players with these crazy powers, they're the heroes, they're the big guns, that they can just go through and, like, deal with all these things. And I think that the... Especially, I think, again, most of my experience with D&D is with 5th edition. So there's a lot of open world to it and a lot of open options. And I think giving that to players with a mystery could be really, really fun. Yeah. With that on the list of things to do. I think mechanically Dungeons & Dragons doesn't have a lot in, you know, in terms of being a game where mysteries excel. You know what I mean? Like a lot of social interaction and stuff like that in uh, D&D is can be hand-waved by just a, a die roll. That said, I've written a 5th edition adventure that is entirely a murder mystery. But what I did was I made it in a very remote location where they're not going to go anywhere, and basically they're not allowed to leave until they saw yeah. it to exonerate themselves from being... Yep. Yeah, the, the the issue you run into with, with D&D is you always have to magic, divination magic can solve you know, something very quickly. Speak Trash. with dead. Hey, what happened? You know, or my continued attempts to speak with animals and, and find out what happened. But Sarah's just so good at playing rats who just give you just enough information, but not enough to just tell you what happened. I think, didn't somebody do a Polar Express? Uh, not Polar Express, Murder oh, on the... Eberron, yeah, Murder on the Eberron Express. That was Amber who was in here. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, that was a lot of fun, that yeah. one. Yeah. I didn't get to play that. I wish you were yeah. here to talk about it. Jess, did you play it? Uh, I did. I've played in it now three times. Holy um, shit, talk it's, about it's, it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's actually really great. Um, it... It starts with pre-generated characters, and uh, each of the pre-generated characters already comes with, like, a certain clue that starts kind of the the mystery off. Yeah, that does seem um, like a requirement for if you're going to be running a game like that. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the murder is different. You roll say, 1d8, right? Yes, just, I was going to yeah, say, sorry. it's a one-shot, and who the murderer is of the pre-generated characters changes every time. So um, the game is kind of drastically different every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's that one's great one. interesting it's because one. correct me if I'm wrong. One of the players is the killer. Correct. Yeah, one of the players. Oh, is the you murder. betray yep. that house on the hill. It that's cool. Yep. 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 Great game, by the way. So, uh, so yeah, uh, let's see. Games that do miss. Uh, obviously, Call of Cthulhu. I talked about that. Rainy mentioned Gumshoe, which is pretty much you know the main mystery game or rule game. Rule set Can you talk about that a there. little bit? Uh, I've never personally heard of Gumshoe. Gumshoe? Uh, I'm not super familiar with it, honestly. Uh, I mean, it's basically uh, it's a 1d6 system, I want to say. And you, you're playing, um, you know, theoretically, I, I was talking to Randy about this before we started um, recording. I can't think of 
a game that uses that or any game that's just strictly like an investigate mysteries game. I don't know why there isn't one out there. Maybe there is one. If you know one, email yeah, us there's, or it, message within us. Within Gumshoe, there's a game called Bubble Gumshoe, which very much plays there you go. like a Nancy yeah. Drew that's or right. Hardy Boys game. Yeah. Um, but there's no like Silence of the Lambs or like, you know, NCIS or anything like that out there that I can think of. I can't think I, of one. I feel like Buddy Cop Detective Game should absolutely yeah. be a thing. And I'm sure there's one out there, but like, you know, um, I think Bubble Gumshoe, if I'm not mistaken, you put points into skills. And basically, if you have certain points and things like like Christian said earlier, you never miss a clue kind of thing, because that would halt the whole point of the game. Um, but I do think that it, and if I'm, I may be mistaken on this, but I do think it has a meta currency or, uh, in the game. I'm not sure about um, that. I, I don't know. So I just pulled it up. Um, so Gumshoes, when you make your character... Uh, you put points into attributes like with most other RPGs, um, but from some of those uh, abilities, you have uh, pools of points that can be used to be spent to things related to that ability, um, which part of that there is go. their investigative abilities. Um, and they specifically state that there are core clues, which are clues that are uh you know, the most important ones, players will always find them no matter what. But if a player spends resources from their pool of their investigative abilities, that'll help them find additional clues. Um, and it specifically says clues are not necessary to solve the scenario, though they should give additional information or other benefits. So stuff like that. Yeah. So somebody has come up with a way to mechanically make a mystery game that doesn't feel like it. One of the biggest pitfalls we said at the very beginning of this episode hinge on one successful die roll to move the story forward, which is a yeah. really important yeah. thing yeah. when you're thinking of running a mystery game. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other game, which we haven't mentioned yet, uh, is City of Mist, which I'm just starting to read. And I really love because it's like, it's think of like film noir, but mixed up with American gods because you have this city and there's this mist that kind of covers everything up, but you might be playing a character who you live a very normal life, but you're also the living embodiment of Hercules or some mythic power or, or, or like idea. And you have these, these mythical abilities too. And there are other people. So like Medusa might be out there and she might be like a femme fatale singer in this nightclub or something like that. And you have to go fight her. Uh, and there's some really cool things about it. Like every session starts with a player doing the voiceover, like in a film, the war detective movie. Uh, but one of the things that I've just started reading it, I believe it's powered by the apocalypse Rainy. They have like icebergs to, they use an iceberg method of designing the, the mysteries. So it's like, you know, the top level is the most, you know, obvious things that you could find, like the body in the in the alley or whatever. And then you find like the matchbook of cards to the club and you could go there. And from the club, you can go to, you know, the apartment or another place. And it eventually will lead you down to the, the you know, the, the bottom of the iceberg, the deepest level where the, the reveal is. And that's a good design framework of designing your mystery, of having that laid out. And that's kind of like a sandbox. People can interact with that on any level. Yeah, it's almost like a trail of breadcrumbs, but instead of being yeah. a straight line you can kind of make yep. a web or like node based clues you know that connect to other clues sarah's little board with the with the yeah, red with the red string see we're developing yeah. this game we don't even know it shadows of esterin does the same thing with their um anytime they have a pre pre-made uh scenario or um you know short adventure or something like that they do the same thing but they use the uh they use a tree as the metaphor so it starts with the roots what are the roots of this story and those are like the key concepts and ideas and things that you're going to discuss. And then it goes to the trunk, which is like the body of the story. And then it goes to, you know, the branches as you branch out and develop, you know, 
the kind of the perimeter of everything. Then the last part is like, well, I guess the leaves uh, are like kind of the aftermath. And then it even goes one step further and it says like the wind and like the wind is how, how does this resolution affect your characters, right? And what in what way has what they discovered or in what way has what they done impacted the world around them? And what are the what are the long-standing ramifications? And that's the wind. That's cool. So they use a similar thing to like the iceberg. They use the tree, right? But again, talk about the branches and you know uh, all that good stuff. So yeah, I would like to add on because I brought up Monster of the Week earlier as a mystery within a monster slaying game. But mechanically, like design wise, they have a really great mystery worksheet that I think we should mention before we are done, which is uh, they use a countdown clock. And this is something that Christian kind of alluded to earlier where you want to have set things that are going to happen over the course of the mystery, over the course of the investigation. So if at any point, another one of those big Powered by the Apocalypse, you know, GM rules is whenever your players give you a moment, if they're in a lull or anything like that, make something happen, you know, move that agenda forward for the bad guy. Uh, In Monster of the Week, you know, it's basically, you know, if they miss a roll like really bad, or if they're at a complete standstill, have no idea what to do, guess what? You ramp down that countdown clock. And by the time that clock hits midnight, if you haven't done it, basically like this thing's going to have done all the damage it is. It might be something you can never reverse, or it might be that this thing gets away, you know, because that's the whole point. Like it's not a given. You're not going to just solve this mystery. You need to actively make it work. Um, but the countdown clock is a really cool way to, if you download the mystery worksheet for monster of the week, it lays it out really cool where it says, you know, what's your monster? What are its minions? Who are the bystanders? Like who are the people you can talk to, to learn about what happened? And then what's the countdown clock? And it always starts with like, you know, this person was attacked, which starts the whole thing off. But by the end, it's like, it has successfully eaten enough humans that can now procreate. And now you have many of them and you're like, oh that's not good. We got to finish before that happens. You know what I mean? Like, um, so that's also an interesting way to approach writing a mystery. Um, yeah, I just had another game I wanted to mention too. Uh, it's actually not out yet. Uh, Troy and I actually played the game at Gen Con. We did a one shot of memories of tomorrow and it is a, yeah, it's a sci-fi mystery game and it's, it's very weird. It's very interesting because, um, you have some sort of mystery to solve in the session. You get some sort of calling from some sort of planet or entity and you go through one of the character's memories. You go through a dream sequence of one of the character's memories, but it's altered in some way. So before you get to the planet, um, you go through this memory and it's altered in some way. And the way it's altered is supposed to give you clues as to what's going on on the planet. And then when you arrive on the planet, you have to solve the mystery. But you go through this dream sequence that gives you clues as to what's going on. That was so such very, an amazing game. Oh, it was man. so much fun. I'm obsessed. So with much. It. Can fun. you tell us one more time what's the name of that game so people can keep their eyes uh, open and looking for it? Yeah, it's called uh, Memories of Tomorrow. Um, it's still in development, actually. Uh, it's not even on Kickstarter yet, um, but it's going to be on Kickstarter at some point. Uh, I think it's from the company Chew. I think it's the Chew Company, but uh, it's Memories of Tomorrow. Yeah, we'll check that. And yeah. We'll, yeah. Put, we'll clean that up. Yeah. Still good. Uh, it looks like they do have a Facebook page, uh, so definitely uh, keep a lookout for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was such a fun game. It was such a cool concept. The mechanics were super interesting and different, too. Like, I'm really looking forward to when it comes out. I love how you could impose something on the world that you were in, or you could draw a characteristic from the world that you were in. That was super cool. And it was a good way to, like, make 
dice rolls matter, but not be good or bad per se, right? Like you failed this and you risked a key part of who you are. Now we replace it with something and now you're something else. So it was yeah, cool. Every, every part of the game was so different from any other RPG I've ever run into. So yeah, Memories of Tomorrow, sci-fi mystery, highly recommend. We should play that. Cool. Um, one of the things about running a game with a larger mystery involved is that you don't always see the end of it. Um, for example, I've been running Rise of the Rune Lords, the, you know, the biggest Pathfinder AP since sliced bread, and you're following a mystery, the same mystery through multiple chapters, um, and it just gets oh, wait, bigger. It's all bigger. one thing. Hold on. Let me write this down. And just... <laughs> All right. Close your ears. Close your ears, player Take in my game. Needs, Christian. Uh, <laughs> I'll just turn them down. That's low. That's low. Down. No <laughs> Wow, even I didn't go that far. But what, what I'm alluding to is the players don't always see the end of the mystery, um, which in some cases I think can be good, but in some cases I, I'm torn on it. I don't know yeah, what you it, guys it, had it, thoughts on that about. It's, it sucks because sometimes you run that, you know, something really cool goes is going on like in the background and the players never really find out or interact with it or they might see the results of it but they don't really know the why of why it happened and how it got there and i know when i call a cthulhu game i used to kind of just have those moments after when you finished a mystery and just been like okay here's what really happened you know just for the players you know your characters don't know this but here's what was really going on just so you guys have some closure you know your characters don't they are still living with like hey this is some awful thing that happened but so you know as players and have closure right but I think if you're running a longer campaign, uh, sometimes leaving mysteries unsolved can aid character development a lot. Because if they had that, you know, that detective with that cold case that kind of keeps them up at night drinking bad coffee and having heartburn, uh, that's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great character moment, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the grumpy old detective. Apparently, Troy thinks that's a character I was born to play. <laughs> the, the love in this episode is palpable yeah we're really <laughs> roasting each other hard um i think that if you're lucky enough to have a group that you can leave those mysteries dangling somewhere in the world uh to potentially be brought back at a later time that's always nice obviously it's nice to have that closure but you know if if you're lucky enough to have a long-term game running and you can bring something back that they've completely forgot about or isn't even related but now can affect the current players or current characters things like that are really nice um or even just referencing them you know as something in a completely different game or what have you uh can be really satisfying to the players even if they didn't get the satisfaction of solving the mystery rpg mm. players love a good callback if you have an npc yeah, they like at level two and then suddenly at level 17 they show back up those players get stoked all right are there any final thoughts we want to touch on about mysteries before we wrap this sucker up we did it all i think we did it i guess uh i guess my last thing is my little dm cheat if you're having like a multiple session uh mystery Right. Uh, when I recap the game, the next like the next session, I will make sure to hit on uh, maybe an important clue or an important follow up from the previous session. I'll I'll put it in there in the recap, and I'll make sure to leave certain things out. <laughs> 
result <laughs> during the recap that I want them to not pay attention to. <laughs> that's my little DM cheat. Uh, it's kind of a cheap shot, but DM hacks. No, that's a yeah. great advice, actually. Um, reinforce the things that you want them to be doing and, and figuring out. And then uh, if there's things that you're not sure you can improv and wing as a GM, uh, try and let those things slip out of their memories. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for giving us a listen over here on Modified Roles. If you want to hear more of us, we do have a couple other episodes as well as audio for some of our Twitch streams over at twitch.tv slash DMs After Dark, where we play a new game or a new episode of a game every other Friday. Uh, October is all spooky one shots. Uh, upcoming, actually, the next game that we are going to be playing on DMs After Dark is Spooky 80s Fun Kids on Bikes. Uh, before we dive into, if I'm correct, Avatar The Last Airbender, so keep your eyes out for that. Uh, you can follow us on all of our social medias at DMs After Dark, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can reach out to us directly if you so choose at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. See you guys on the flip side, everyone. Keep hunting mysteries. Bye. Bye.